name is DC O'Rourke. Do you have a message for me to pass on to the living? Welcome back, Pear family. I'm DC O'Rourke, and this is Hauntedly Yours, a podcast for the paranormal. In episode five, we are traveling to Birmingham, Alabama to visit a National Historic Landmark. Not only is it a National Historic Landmark, it is also considered to be the most haunted place in Alabama. I give you Sloss Furnaces. This site is ripe with history. Many tragic deaths have happened here over the years, and as a result of all this, paranormal activity has arisen. No surprise there, right? Guys, I have heard nothing but good things about this site. Everyone I have ever talked to has said, go see this location. And if you go, go early in the day because the place is massive. There is lots to look at. You can go there just for the history and pretty much bump into the ghosts of the past without even looking for them. What do you say we just cut straight to the chase? Let's go digging in the history. Let's see what we find and then move on from there. When the Civil War came to a close in 1865, the restoration of the United States came not too long after. All sorts of people were suddenly looking for work. Why, in Alabama, there were railroad men, land developers, and speculators who were suddenly moving into Jones Valley with one thing on their minds. They wanted to take advantage of the area's rich mineral resources. It just so happened that every last ingredient needed to make iron lay within a convenient 30-mile radius. Believe it or not, seams of iron ore stretched for a good 25 miles through Red Mountain, which was in the southeastern quadrant of the valley. To the north and west were abundant deposits of coal, while limestone, dolomite, and clay underlaid the valley itself. In 1871, southern entrepreneurs founded a new city called Birmingham and began the systematic exploitation of its minerals. An Alabama railroad man and merchant, Colonel James Withers Sloss, rolled into town one day, and he had big plans. The founding of a city. Hmm, how would he go about this? The answer was actually quite simple. He would convince the l and Railroad to complete a north and south rail line through Jones Valley, which of course would be the new location of said town. 
Moving along with real entrepreneur-like spirit, he formed the Sloss Furnace Company in 1880, and just two years later, he would go on to have blown the second blast furnace in the city of Birmingham. This all happened as a result of him being involved in the forming of the Pratt Coke and Coal Company. The construction of a new Sloss Furnace began in June of 1881. A 50-acre plot of land had been donated by the Ellington Land Company for such an endeavor. A European-born engineer, Harry Hargreaves, was in charge of construction. Interestingly enough, Hargreaves had been student of Thomas Whitwell. Okay, who was Whitwell? Well, he was a British inventor. The guy designed the very stoves that would directly supply the hot air blast for these new furnaces. These things were 60 feet high and 18 feet in diameter. The new Whitwell stoves were truly unique and the first ever of their type to be built in the city. Some even said they were just as good as stoves being used up north. The site would be called City Furnaces. Well, from here, we find in the south, of course, that th this is where a majority of the machinery would be coming from for Sloss Furnaces. Locals were very proud of that fact, by the way. The furnaces included two blowing engines and 10 boilers. These measured 30 feet long and 46 inches in diameter. The following year, the furnaces finally went into blast. By the end of that same year, though, the furnace had impressively sold 24,000 tons of iron. The company would go on to boast a bronze medal for best pig iron that they won at the 1883 Louisville Expedition. Good stuff, guys. During the 1880s, as pig iron production in Alabama grew from 68,995 to 706,629 gross tons, no fewer than 19 blast furnaces would be built in Jefferson County alone. Per Dr. W. David Lewis, author of Sloss Furnaces and the Rise of the Birmingham District, Sloss Furnaces was born at a time when the doldrums of the post-war era had ended and the South was feeling a measure of confidence for the first time since the opening years of the Civil War. Industrialists, railroad magnates, and town planners received, as one newspaper stated, a degree of adulation previously reserved for military heroes. By the way, we're talking about the same types of people that were cut literally from the same cloth as Sloss. In November 1881, Sloss was promoted as a candidate for governor by the Birmingham Press. They had this to say of their glamorous candidate. His excellent business qualifications, brilliant intellect, splendid character, and fine executive ability all combined make him the grandest man in Alabama today for our chief executive. He is the very personification of Christian manhood and integrity, possessing the qualifications of head and heart which we should emulate. 
Inspired by such rhetoric, Alabama, not surprisingly, eagerly embraced what was being called the gospel of industrialism. Sloss's decision to bring in the LNN transformed Birmingham from a squalid jumble of tents, shanties, and boxcars into a thriving community. Anxious to tap the rich mineral resources surrounding Birmingham, Sloss, along with fellow Birmingham promoters Henry de Bartleben and James Aldridge, acquired 30,000 acres and formed the Pratt Coal and Coke Company. Pratt soon became the largest mining enterprise in the district. The majority of Sloss pig iron ended up in Cincinnati, Louisville, Chicago, and Cleveland. Pig iron costs in northern plants averaged $18.30 per ton in 1884, while pig iron in the south could be produced for as little as $10 to $11 a ton. By the 1880s, Birmingham was booming and had earned the nickname, wait for it, The Magic City. In 1886, James W. Sloss finally retired and ended up selling his company to a group of financiers who took the business to new heights and led it through a much-needed expansion. A few years later, in 1899, the company decided to reorganize as Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron. They would never make steel, though. With the acquisition of additional furnaces and extensive mineral lands in northern Alabama, Sloss Sheffield became the second largest merchant pig iron company in the Birmingham district. James Withers Sloss continued to be interested in iron and steelmaking until his death in May of 1890. An obituary in the National Trade Journal said this of him, Iron Age His far-seeing discernment in in Indomitable energy in modern ideas. Hmm. Company assets included seven blast furnaces, 1,500 beehive coke ovens, 120,000 acres of coal in Orland, five Jefferson County coal mines and two red ore mines, brown ore mines, and quarries in North Birmingham. By World War I, Sloss Sheffield was among the largest producers of pig iron in the world. In the late 1930s, World War II had expanded the market for iron and steel and created jobs for Birmingham workers. By 1941, when America entered World War II, nearly half the labor force was employed by the iron and steel and mining industries. More than two-thirds of the industry's workers were African-American. Well, despite being dominated by black labor, the industrial workplace was rigidly segregated until the 1960s. Workers at Sloss bathed in separate bathhouses, punched separate time clocks, attended separate company picnics. More importantly, we do have to acknowledge the segregation of jobs. The company operated as a hierarchy, all the same. At the top, there was an all-white group of managers, chemists, accountants, and engineers. At the bottom, an all-black labor gang assisted until 
about 1928 when it was kind of done with. Sloss utilized the convict leasing system of the time only in his coal mines. As Lewis noted in Sloss Furnaces, convict labor, mostly black, was an important weapon in the district's economic warfare with northern manufacturing. Slavery had not died, but merely been transformed. In the middle, a racially mixed group performed a variety of skilled and semi-skilled jobs. Even in the middle group, however, white workers held the higher-paying, higher-status title positions, such as stove tenders, carpenters, boiler makers, machinists, Black workers were restricted to such positions as helper roles or carpenter helper, machinist helper, that type of thing. Bainted was a place full to the brim with history, and people realized this. Sloss received National Historic Land- Landmark status in 1981 and opened its gates in September of 1983 as a museum for the city of Birmingham. Its collection consisted of, get this, two 400-ton blast furnaces and some 40 buildings. Nothing remains of the original furnace complex. The oldest building on the site actually dates back from 1902 and houses the eight steam-driven blowing engines used to provide air from combustion in the furnaces. The, the the engines, rather, they themselves date from the period 1900 to 1902 and are a unique and important collection. Engines such as these powered America's Industrial Revolution. The boilers were installed in 1906 and 1914. They would go on to produce steam for the site until about 1970 when Sloss finally closed its doors. Now, between 1927 and 1931, going back a bit, the plant underwent a concentrated program of mechanization. Most of its major operation equipment, we're talking about the blast furnaces and the charging and casting machinery, all of this was replaced at this time. In 1927 to 1928, the two furnaces were rebuilt enlarged and refitted with mechanical charging equipment, doubling the plant's production capacity. Now, I have to say, while the site strongly reflects the changes made from the 1927 to 1931 period, some of the technology is more current. The company built a dehumidification plant during World War II to reduce consumption of coke. Use of the system was discontinued when the war ended, but the building and equipment remained. In the late 1940s, the company took two slag granulators to produce the expanded slag needed to make structural concrete, mineral wool, and other products. Then finally, in 1949 and 1951, the company replaced the old blowing engines with two turbo blowers. About two-thirds of the historic structures on the site were stabilized using the bond funds approved by Birmingham voters in 1977. 
Parts of the site were also adapted for use as a center for community and civic events and for innovative program and metal arts. Interestingly enough, Sloss now hosts concerts, festivals, and conferences, as well as workshops and exhibitions of metal art. By helping people form new attachments to the old furnaces, these programs keep Sloss a very active and important part of the community, as it was for nearly a good hundred years. Sloss is currently the only 20th century blast furnace in the United States that is actually being preserved and interpreted as a historic industrial site. The dramatic scale and complexity of the plant's industrial structure, machines, and tools makes it a, a collection, but it makes its collection, however, uh, a unique contribution to the interpretation of 20th century iron making technology and presents a remarkable perspective on the era when America grew to world industrial dominance. At the same time, Sloss is an important reminder of the hopes and dreams of the American people who worked in the industries that made some men wealthy and Birmingham the magical place that it became. I mean, why else would they call it the magic city? Well, from here, what do we talk about next? Because... That's pretty much it. From point A to point B, the history of Sloss Furnaces. I, of course, could go in and dissect it even more so. But why don't we move on and see if we can maybe come up with some answers for why the place is haunted. I probably didn't mention this. Actually, wait, no, I didn't. The National Association of Psychics has certified Sloss Furnaces as one of the most haunted locations in the world. Yeah, that's a fact. It's the most haunted place in Alabama, but according to this group, they say it's one of the most haunted places in the world. I'm honestly not surprised. Numerous paranormal investigations have taken place here over the years. And let's not forget how many big-time paranormal TV shows have come through. I'm talking ghost adventures, uh, scariest places on Earth, ghost hunters, unexplained mysteries, and countless others. What's the deal here, guys? W why is this place so haunted? The personal experiences from this location seem to be endless, they're in abundance. How about we look to the deaths that have taken place here? I have to say that's probably a pretty good place to start. If we look at these statistics, there have been 60 deaths at Sloss Furnaces. 47 of them alone are rumored to be related to Wormwood. As it would turn out, James Robert Slag Wormwood, plant manager from 1886 until his death in October of 1889, excuse me, 1899, supervised roundabouts 150 workers. 
Legend says Wormwood died during his only inspection of the top of the tallest furnace tower, where he fell from a catwalk into molten ore. His death ended nighttime work at the plant. From my readings, I've discovered that the story of Wormwood is actually not true. It's totally fiction-based, and it's weirdly enough based on the death of well-liked assistant foundryman Richard Jowers, who died at DeBartleben Coal and Iron Company's Alice Number no. 1 furnace, Nuts Loss, and this was on the other side of Birmingham on September 9th, 1887. Jowers allegedly fell into the furnace while supervising the repair of the melting bell, a sort of funnel, if you will. The original Wormwood haunting, as well as his death, are first recorded at Alice Furnace Number no. 1, but when it was decommissioned and destroyed in 1905, the legend shifted to Alice Number no. 2 until its demolition in 1927. The ghost simply moved from point A to point B. It went from Alice Number no. 1 to Sloss. Most of the worm legend is from the haunted house at Sloss Furnaces that they do every fall. Additional confusion, I think, is linked to the 1978 book The Ghost in the Sloss Furnaces by Catherine Tucker Wyndham that uses the fictional name of Theophilus Calvin Jowers. Oh, you have to love it. One of the first accidents was recorded in the book, The Sloss Furnaces and the Rise of the Birmingham District, an industrial epic by author Walter David Lewis. I did reference this um, a few minutes ago when we were talking about the history. In November of 1882, two black laborers by the names of Alec King and Bob May were tasked with removing ore and coke that had burned to the brick walls of the number one furnace. The two men were lowered into the interior of the furnace and began to dislodge the material which fell into the materials in the hearth that were still smoldering. The resulting smoke and gas quickly overcame the men and they fell to their deaths. The book goes on to report that a crowd quickly assembled to gape at the men's burned remains. The deaths of Alec King and Bob May are part of the folklore of the Sloss Furnaces even to this very day, though their names are generally left out of most accounts. Please keep that in mind. The story is most often associated with Furnace Number no. 1 on the site today, although this, of course, isn't exactly accurate. According to the historic landmarks official site, the number one furnace that took their lives was part of the original furnace complex, which has since been replaced. In fact, the oldest building in the complex dates back to 1902, which did not exist until 20 years after the accident. It is entirely possible that scraps or, or parts of the original structure were used in the construction of the new furnace number one, but this has been unverified. The same week in November of 1882, Samuel Cunningham committed suicide at Alice Number no. 1 by ascending the hoist 
the top of the stack and diving into the furnace. The New York Times reported on another incident, uh, an accident that occurred on February 4th, 1892 at the Sloss Furnaces that immediately took the lives of two men and injured several more, possibly critically. According to the report, a new hot blast stove was being erected when a scaffold inside the stove collapsed and dumped the eight men 58 feet to the bottom. Damn. Both John Stratton and John Ritchie died immediately, while Will Harvey, P.J. Trammell, Job Wade, Jerry Moore, Henry Cutts, and Frank Wilcox were all injured. The article went on to state that outside Moore, the other five men were seriously injured, and those injuries could very well prove fatal. No further reports have ever been found. One of the more intriguing accounts appeared about five years later in the New York Times with the headline, Dead in a Furnace Tank. The article details the discovery of a body, more specifically a white man in a large open water tank at Sloss Furnaces. He was discovered by a young boy, and this was on April 4th, 1897. The article gra graphically states, the body was cooked, and the flesh fell off in chunks as it was drawn from the vat. Whew, that just creates a very vivid mental imagery. The man was later identified as Joseph F. Webb, who is a painter for the local southern railway shops in the city. He had been last seen at a bar the previous night and had stated he was heading home. However, the furnace was reportedly somewhat out of his way from the direction of his home, which led to some of his friends to suspect foul play. Again, no further reports could be found, so it's actually unknown if Webb was murdered or his death was just an accident. The 1892 scaffold collapse and the 1897 discovery of Webb's body in a vat on the grounds are seemingly forgotten in the history of Sloss Furnaces, and generally, they go unreported. However, one tidbit included in the article of Joseph Webb that I've come across could possibly provide some insight into the legend of the young woman who was said to have committed suicide afterwards. The story states that when Webb was last seen, he was carrying a brand new pair of shoes for himself and a pair for his wife, which were found floating in the vat with his body. While it is nothing more than speculation, of course, it is possible that the discovery of a pair of woman's shoes floating in a heated vat might have provided, I don't know, roots to the legend, maybe? Another account of fatalities at Sloss surrounds the blower room, number one, a rupture in the machine was said to have released scalding steam that instantly killed two unnamed men. While this account cannot be verified, currently, a similar incident occurred on November 26, 1902 at the nearby Williamson Furnace in Birmingham. In that case, a break in the furnace 
fatally burned the general manager and superintendent of the facility, Thomas J. Edwards, in a nearby stove man, James McConnelly. According to the report, Edwards was burned to a crisp. Two others were injured in the incident. Finally, another fatality, yes, there's more, was said to have occurred at the blowing engine number one when a worker took his lunch break too close to the machinery and was pulled into the cogwheel where he was crushed to death. The name of the victim and the date of the accident are not included. Again, the report accident cannot be verified at this time. I, I, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Cover up? Mm, or is it just the fact that that bit of history is lost to us? Hard to say. The names of all these men that perished working at Sloss Furnaces may never be known. That's just the truth of it all. Aside from the accidents and hazardous conditions among toxic fumes, workers also faced disease outbreaks that spread throughout the living quarters. Indeed, a search of legal records could find various lawsuits that were filed by workers against Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron Company. The filings detail a variety of injuries, amputations, and even a few deaths that occurred during regular work weeks. Given that the historic landmark is one of the remaining reminders of Birmingham's industrial past, it is entirely possible that some of its other legends were inherited from other facilities and locations that have long since closed. It is certainly a possibility. Definitely keep that in mind also. I mean, this is all tragic. I mean, the, all the, all, all this death is tragic. And these people, their, their stories deserve to be remem remembered. And I mean, the best I can offer you is how they died and, you know, maybe who they were. But other than that, that's it for the most part. They're unknown. <sighs> what to do? What to do? I mean, I find these stories, I investigate their truths, and I keep them alive, no matter how sad they are. Sloss Furnaces just seems like a sad place. I, I bet the, the energy here is unreal it has to be very very intense especially for any of those who are sensitive or you know intuitive you know or even a psychic medium i mean you know we all walk different streets i mean I, for one, I would probably be very uncomfortable here, but I would enjoy very much exploring and investigating this. Now, I think we should hear some of these stories. These stories that guests of Sloss Furnaces have been bringing forth 
for a very long time because some of these stories, they're pretty spooky. For example, a night watchman in 1926 sustained injuries after being pushed from behind and told angrily by a deep voice to get back to work. The man, upon searching the grounds, could find no sign of any other living person than himself. That was the very first encounter with anything remotely paranormal. From there, we have an instance in 1947 where three supervisors turned up missing, found unconscious, and locked in the small boiler room in the southeastern part of the plant, None of the three could explain exactly what happened. All agreed that they were approached by a man whose skin appeared badly burned and who angrily shouted at them, Push some steel! Probably the most intense report comes from 1971. The night before the plant closed, Samuel Blumenthal, the night watchman, was nostalgically taken a last look about when he found himself face to face with the most frightening thing he had ever seen. He described it simply as evil, a half-man, half-demon, who tried to push him up the stairs. When Blumenthal refused, the monster began to beat on him with his fists. Upon examination by Dr. Jack Barlow, Blumenthal was found covered with intense burns. He died mysteriously before ever returning to finish his employment. Ay ay ay. That's some scary stuff. There have been more than 100 reports of suspected paranormal activity from Sloss Furnaces recorded in Birmingham police records. Over 100 reports, guys. From minor incidents such as steam whistles, apparently blowing by themselves, full-on apparitions of spirits, people getting assaulted by unseen forces. I mean, you see where I'm going with this, right? The list of personal experiences from guests who visit this iconic landmark have left behind some rather frightening things for us to talk about. There appears to be no end to them. I can't imagine why. Allow me to share several of these anecdotes with you. And these stories, these anecdotes, by the way, are in the people's words who experienced them. My paranormal group has been there, and the blowing engine room is a very, is a very, very haunted place. A man was sucked under one of the wheels and was mangled to death. His energy is all over that room. We got touched, pushed, and even thrown about. We heard loud banging noises, but when we went to that area, nothing was there. The medium in our group said that there are many restless spirits there who are attached to the property. She was able to talk to one of them who stated his hand was cut by the oar. So my wife and I stopped by Sunday with our dog. I wish I could post the pics we took. Oh, man. My dog's face was crazy in all the pics. It doesn't even resemble her. 
Her eyes are white. Facial markings look very strange, and even her mouth was distorted looking. She has been lethargic all day today. I also have several pics of strange orb-like objects all over the site. My husband and I decided to go exploring at Sloss today. It was his first visit. I've been before. We were right around the blowing engines in that little house when he immediately started started to panic. He's not afraid of anything. And asked if I felt weird. I told him no, definitely not, and to quit trying to scare me. He then started complaining about his vision and saying he couldn't see right and he was really dizzy. We had finished the tour and were just exploring, so we decided to leave and go get dinner. When we got to the restaurant, I googled Sloss Hauntings and found out that six workers were blinded by a fire in the exact spot he started freaking out. Coincidence? Mm, I think not. I've been to Sloss many times. Only once for the haunted house. I work with a local paranormal group and we have found and caught several spirits. The two most active areas seem to be the tunnel and the boiler room. I've been touched in both areas and caught amazing EVPs. The most strangest being the humming of a little girl in the tunnel. We were the only people left in the side, inside the building. The two ladies that ran the office were on the other side of the furnaces. One of the ladies said she heard that before, but no one knows who the little girl is or why she is even there. Oh, there are ghosts there. Trust me, when we were walking under the big water tower, we saw a guy dressed as a coal miner. We asked him if he worked there and he just walked right by us. Then he just kind of melted into the wall. It totally freaked us all out, and we got out of there. I went here with my art teacher, but she didn't tell us the place was haunted. But it was me and three other girls that was with me. We went down this dark place. I, I don't remember what it was called, but... You could see a light at the end of this place, and I felt something actually grab my leg. I don't know if I was imagining it or if it was for real. I believe it was for real because a lot of people died down there. If I would have known the place was haunted, uh, I would have never signed that permission slip and got on that bus. No way, Jose. I used to work for Sloss, and uh, through the month we saw several things that was just straight up unnatural. One night we unexplainably lost power and most of the woods trailed for over an hour, and no one could figure out why. This only happened after a customer taunted and called for slag in my scene, though several times we saw figures moving around through the, the factory in woods after hours. One night, walking through the tunnels and basement at Sloss, something grabbed my shoulder and pushed me from behind. We also heard on several occasions voices and strange sounds coming from places that was blocked off to the public. 
I can tell you for sure that Sloss is haunted and, and it's one of the strangest places in Birmingham and possibly in the country. It's amazing if you can go out there between midnight and 3 a.m. It, it's an experience like no other. Just, just be prepared for what you may see, hear and experience out there. It, it's dangerous and terrifying, but wonderful in a creepy kind of way. So, I have to know, care to add Sloss Furnaces to your list of haunted places to visit? I know some of you are thinking it. You're thinking, hell yes I do! Then go on! Add it! What are you waiting for? If you need any more assistance, any more information other than what I've given you, go in search of answers to your questions. Go check out the Sloss Furnaces website, www.slossfurnaces.com. I do know they are open right now by appointment only, but I said it before and I'll say it again. If you decide to go, go early because the place is vast and there is a lot to look at. Now, at this point, I'd like to credit the staff at Sloss Furnaces and Fright Furnaces as well with the vast amount of information that they have put out into the world for people like myself to learn about the, the facility online. I send many thanks to them for helping make this episode possible. Other than that, the buck stops here, I'm afraid. Hmm, what will our gracious phantom bard come up with next? Oh, only if our phantom bard could talk, right? Aye, aye, aye. Well, I guess you'll just have to wait and listen to the next episode. Guys and gals, places aren't the only things that can be haunted. People can, objects, and much more. Keep that in mind. I'm afraid that is all I have for you, though. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, go check out the link tree for the show and follow along on the show's social media pages. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and even Clubhouse. The official link is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E backslash hauntingly yours paranormal. Most importantly, don't forget to review and subscribe. This helps other people like yourselves find the show and join our para family. Thank you so much, guys. New episodes are released every Monday night. Until next time, I'm DC O'Rourke. I am and will remain, much like the spirits, hauntingly yours.